JJ Cooper, Carlos Colazo, another Baseball America playoff podcast. We have a lot to talk about. Since the last time that we gathered together, we've had a whole lot of World Series. We had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We had Ian Anderson both being dominant and a little shaky at the same time, if it's possible to do that. You had uh, a lot of home runs. You had the Braves taking a uh, a 3-1 lead. And then you had a game last night where the Astros send it back to Houston. And in a game that I think we'll talk about, it sure felt like that one of these teams knew it was do or die. And the other team knew that they needed to win one of three games and played that way, not because they didn't try to win, but just how they used their pitching and all that. There's a lot to dissect, but Carlos, I'll start by just asking you after a, a flurry of weekend postseason baseball what is the thing that sticks to your mind most as we sit here trying to wrap up three games in atlanta in one podcast i guess the first thing that jumps out is our our wishes were answered we got a lot of really competitive games this weekend after the first two games of the series were pretty much done with after the fifth inning really all three games in atlanta maybe the last couple innings of this game number five here wasn't super engaging but for the most part i think we got about 25 innings worth of really compelling baseball and that was fun to watch um just from my perspective i think both these teams have kind of showed you why they're here um i was really impressed with a a few of the brave starters that we're going to talk about ian anderson has been just unbelievable in the playoffs his entire uh brief career but it's it's a pretty decent sample of playoff appearances for him right now i think Kyle Wright did step up. We we talked about him as a potential player to watch for the Braves. He stepped up and through five, I think, really solid innings for them in game number four. Um, so that was fun to watch. Uh, and, and really, I feel like for both teams, maybe maybe the Astros, it's been a little bit more heavy for the top players kind of doing the heavy lifting offensively. But I feel like both these teams have had a number of players step up and and help them out in big spots. It it doesn't seem like, I mean, it's baseball, so this is probably what happens every single postseason, but it's really been a full team effort for both these teams to make this series what it's been so far. So I guess for me, the the overarching kind of comment is just, it's been a fun series to watch. It has been a fun series. I will admit, I'll hold my hand up. I, I made it through the eighth last night, not intentionally. I was on the couch And I found myself, it was, I I woke up, it was one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, wait a second. I know it was nine to five. The last thing I remember was heading to the ninth. And so I had to check and I'm like, okay, I didn't miss much. I did go back and watch, but I didn't miss much, but I did. I, I, I made it to midnight. I'm old. I made it to midnight, but I did not make it to the end of the game last night, but it was, I, which I, I kind of unfortunately do say, when you say the compelling meter, I would not have fallen asleep in, uh, in Friday or Saturday's games in the late. There's a part of my brain that knew that I could probably probably doze off in that ninth and yeah. not miss too a, much. A combined no-hitter on Friday night does make for more compelling baseball in, in the back innings of that game. But I wanted to ask you about, about that game specifically because there was – there were a lot of narratives. There were a lot of takes. There were a lot of opinions on the decision to pull Ian Anderson as he was pitching a no-hitter. 
I think the national media had a lot of just commentary in general about the lack of starting starting pitchers going deep into games. That's been a consistent theme that we've seen during this playoffs. People have different takes on whether that's good or bad for baseball and just how to evaluate that. But just in terms of the decision to pull Ian Anderson, are you pro pull Anderson or would you have liked to see him go out there for another inning? I'm baffled by it, to be honest, because we're talking about a decision. It's there was no scenario, none where Ian Anderson was going to pitch all nine innings of a no hitter there. Mm-hmm. Like what I don't understand with it. I completely get it. If this was the eighth and Ian Anderson was at 105 pitches, let's say, right. Yeah. And you're saying, is it better off? It's a one, nothing game. Let's say, and Ian Anderson has a no hitter and they pull him, which they probably would have done. And they should have done because bringing in a reliever for that ninth inning would have been a better way to win the game and get the no hitter mm-hmm. than keeping Ian Anderson in. But I understand at that point that there would have been gnashing of teeth and, Oh, what does the game become that a, pitcher has a chance to throw the second no hitter in world series history and we pull him in the eighth i get it that would have been a massive discussion to have the discussion here was is he going to pitch five innings of this no hitter or six and if you got crazy maybe seven but there was no scenario where you were saying oh ian anderson they pulled him and he had a chance to throw a complete game no hitter. Yeah. They were the going to have his. Yeah, it's going to be a combined no hitter. He was at 76 pitches after five innings. He's thrown over 100 pitches in his career just two times. Uh, so they're definitely not going to push him much beyond that, regardless. But especially yeah, me, the last week of October <laughs> at the end of the longest season of his career. Exactly. And I just feel like the no hit narrative kind of takes this argument to a place where it doesn't really need to go because it is not as if Ian Anderson was pitching a flawless baseball game. He was, he was solid at times at other times he was missing the zone. He wasn't locating with his fastball consistently. He had walked three batters. He hit one. Uh, He threw 51% of 51% strikes just overall. And of those pitches, only 20 of his 76 pitches finished in the zone. So it was certainly an effectively wild start in my opinion, And basically the calculation comes down to, would you rather have Ian Anderson in his sixth inning going through the order, the top of the order for the third time, or would you rather have a fresh AJ Minter? And then you turn it over to kind of the beast of the bullpen with a two nothing lead. And I think, I think the right decision was made and the Braves, it paid off for them in that case, but they won the game. Like at the end of the day, yes, uh, again, there is no decrying a scenario that won the, the game. And 100%. by the way, Ian Anderson wasn't, there was no one has yet come to me and said, here's how Ian Anderson was going to get through that to throw a complete game. No hitter. It wasn't going to happen. I do remember at the time, and maybe this gets lost just because Kyle Wright was so good in the next game at the time, there were a lot of people just kind of arguing that with two bullpen games on the horizon, you needed Ian Anderson to take as, as much of the ball as you possibly could. So why would you take out the, the starter throwing a no hitter when you know, you need to save your bullpen bullets for the next two games. But at the same time, when you have a lead, 
in the World Series, I think you need to do everything you can to secure that win and figure out the next games when they come. If you're losing and you're down, I think that changes the calculus a little bit, which maybe we can get into for the Game 5 talk about Tucker Davidson and just how the pen was managed in that game. Um, but but Friday night, I thought the game was managed pretty perfectly by Brian Snicker. And obviously, at the end of the day, the players have to make the plays, make the pitches, and, and kind of settle it for themselves. Um, but I don't want to go too long about the, the Ian Anderson stuff unless you have more to say, JJ. But again, I mean, this is a pitcher who is 23 years old and has the fourth lowest ERA of any, any starter to throw eight games in the postseason. It's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. It, it's very impressive. I, I, I am a giant fan of Ian Anderson and how he pitches. I do think that he is one of those guys who... And it's funny, we talk about it. His command was not very good in that game, but I've always thought that his command and his ability to mix his pitches has always been better than any one pitch. He mm-hmm. he doesn't, he's not one of those guys who is like, okay, he has this pitch that is just unhittable and that's why yeah. he's so good. It's more of the assortment of it all together. The changeup's really good. Although yeah. even by, if you defined it by metrics, it'd be, it, it's really more of deception to it or whatever than 100%. it is the action of it and all that. But I remember writing about Ian just the last capsule he had for, I think we had him as the number two prospect in the brave system when he, when he ranked last. And my comment was just that he, he doesn't, if you look at his individual pitches, none of them really blow you away. I think you could say at the time his changeup was for sure a plus pitch, but really everything else just kind of plays up based on his deception, his arm slot, how he tunnels pitches together, how he mixes and matches if you take one of those pitches away, I think the the entire repertoire probably falls apart a little bit, but just the combination of all three of his pitches and his ability to spot that change up down um, really just lets everything play up. And it, he is fascinating to watch because the change up isn't some crazy moving pitch. It doesn't drop out of the zone. It doesn't fade a ton. The velocity separation from his fastball isn't ridiculous, but there's just something about what he does, whether that's deception, whether that's, how he commands that three-pitch mix, whether that's tunneling. Um, it's fun to watch him pitch. The thing that I wanted to kind of tie into what you just said, there was a lot of decrying of the demise of the starting pitcher because Ian Anderson didn't go through nine on that, which again, mm-hmm. I don't under. I just feel like it was the wrong example to choose for that. Yeah. Choose it when, when a guy is carrying a no-hitter into the eighth and mm-hmm. is at 100 pitches, not that. But The thing that I do think is happening, that has happened, I should say, that we're kind of maybe missing a little bit as much. If you want to talk about the demise of the starter, there's long been the the idea that in the postseason, your fifth starter doesn't really matter anymore. You get to the postseason and teams use four. And in some instances, they'll even go to bring back a starter on short rest rather than use the number four, right? We've seen that for a long time. What we see now is if you are a number four starter, you are a, a, an almost, you're almost the appendix of a postseason rotation. You're there, but you really don't serve a purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. And I say that Drew Smiley, I would say, is the definition for the Braves all season of being a number four starter. They had the big three, they had Freed, they had Anderson. They had Charlie Morton, and then they had Drew Smiley, who made 26 starts, I believe, all season. Mm-hmm. Jake Odorizzi is effectively like the number four starter of the Astros. 
And both of these guys, and it's not just them. We could talk about Tony Gonson. We could talk about all these teams. It does not matter at this point what the scenario is. It seems like that you look at the Braves, the Braves would much rather hand the ball to a much less established, much less experienced wild card of Tucker Davidson than they would to say, here, Drew Smiley, go get us four to five innings of outs. They, they would say, let's take the stuff over the command. Mm-hmm. And the same thing could be said for the Astros. And the same thing could be said in, I really would say in almost every postseason series we've seen this year yeah. is that it's not like Drew Smiley doesn't pitch. It's not like Jake Odorizzi doesn't pitch. Guys like that. But guys like that, are really used in kind of more Drew Smiley was used in a in a lower leverage situation. He was the yeah, guy it's almost like they turn into lower leverage long relievers. Just get us some innings when we're down in the game and we need to save our bullets for our next competitive game when we have higher leverage situations or when it's close. And if it's not close, you're kind of just taking up soaking up innings for us. I mean Drew Smiley pitched 3.1 innings in the NLCS in a 9-2 game. He pitched one inning in game two of this World Series. Then he pitched three innings last night um, when the game, I think he he was brought in when the Braves were down two. And that was, um, I mean, some people wanted to see the Braves use their higher leverage relievers down in the game. I didn't think that was, I I could see that one either way. I I think when you're down two runs, you probably just save your bullets. You got two games where you can kind of close this out. But again, he's, like you said, he's he's been a lower leverage mop-up role, really. And he's been a lower leverage mop-up role at when when they asked dusty baker after the game so what's your plan luis garcia on short rest yes luis garcia on short rest there was no scenario where they're saying oh by the way no no no, we'll use oda rizzi and then we'll have garcia on regular no it is something where and look at the braves also i think they did get a little cute on saturday um they started dylan lee but then kyle wright again kyle wright has sat in triple a this year while Drew Smiley was getting the ball time after time, but come World Series, stuff over the veteran with less stuff but more command and feel, it seems like that's happening over and over and over. The reason I say I think that they got too cute with it is the reason to me that you use the opener like that is to try to get a matchup, to try... When you have a team that likes to platoon, it's it's a scenario like when you saw the, it done against the Rays. It's like, okay, let's make them decide. Do they want to use their guys who are best against the lefty or they want to use their guys who are best against the righty and just suffer for that first inning with less than ideal matchups because yeah. they know that we're going to get that guy in the second and third, you know, the bulk hitting guy. The Astros, you know that you're going to get the same lineup no matter what they didn't mm-hmm. really, there wasn't a, going to be a change to that. There wasn't going to be something where because they brought Dylan Lee into start the game, that all of a sudden you had a, a whole new Astros lineup. You had the same guys in largely the same spots in the order. So I don't know why they didn't start Kyle Wright because of that, but, yeah. but overall, I, my, my only thing would be is if, if you can maybe nullify the, the first three batters, your first time through with the opener, maybe, you feel a little bit more confident that Kyle Wright can give you more sure. innings without having to to go through that that top three a third time. But 
Yeah. I don't, is I, Dylan I Lee that guy? I can see the argument that, yeah, you don't have the, the staff to really make that worthwhile. Maybe just let Kyle Wright do his normal routine uh, because he did start the entire year at AAA. He wasn't AAA, but it's not like he was pitching in the bullpen. So, yeah, I can see that case. I, I don't my, feel strongly either way, but you make a good point. My, my point is, is if you were saying AJ Minter was the opener, okay. You're then saying mm-hmm. one of our higher leverage guys yep. is going to get through the meat of this Astros order in the first, and then we'll hand it over right. I see that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's not Dylan Lee. Dylan Lee is the guy. I mean, if we talk about that, Drew Smiley's the break glass in case of emergency guy. Hmm. Dylan Lee, who was a very, had a very fine year at AAA. But Dylan Lee, if you're ranking Braves relievers in order of leverage, is not going to be among the top five guys you say. But overarching thing, this may tie into the prospect handbook. We've always talked about setup man, closers, all that. We really have gotten now to a point where I feel like that relievers can be defined one of three ways because we've also gotten rid of specialists largely, mm-hmm. largely because of the three batter rule. But there's high leverage guys, there's lower leverage guys, and there's bulk guys. Yeah. And all of them have value, but I, I don't see a distinction nowadays. To, to cite an example, is Tyler Matzik for the Braves, is he a a setup man and Will Smith is a closer mm-hmm. or are they really at, at this point on the same continuum from the standpoint of Matzik pitches earlier innings than Will Smith does. Mm-hmm. But Matzik also is a guy that they bring in when it's like the house is on fire. The bases are loaded. There's no outs. Save us Tyler Matzik. Whereas yeah. Will Smith, it's generally said, 
having a great postseason, but generally it is to Will Smith. It's like, here is the ball. It's the ninth inning. The bases are clean. Go get us out of it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, I think for a long time, I've thought the closer tag was kind of irrelevant. I mean, saves as a statistic, I, I think are one of the least useful that we have in baseball. Um, but it does seem like we're getting to a point where pitchers are being handled. Like you mentioned, there are a few guys you really trust in high leverage situations. And maybe there are a few guys in your bullpen who just for whatever reason, feel more comfortable in a, in a certain routine. And you have the pieces to kind of let one of those pitchers go in a, a normal routine. He always gets the ninth. Um, if it's, if it's close in that situation and you don't have a better spot to put that pitcher in earlier in the game, I'm fine with it. But I do think, yeah, you, you've got three guys in this bullpen where you feel pretty good. I mean, maybe four, at this point where you feel pretty good with them coming in at high leverage situations and how you juggle them, who comes in first, that's really just up to the manager, up to what the the pitchers are used to and maybe most comfortable with. But yeah, I don't think there's any, any real use in having a closer designation or a setup man designation. It's how many pitchers do you have in your bullpen that you feel comfortable putting in high leverage situations. Um, and obviously the more of those you have, the shorter you can make the game, the more, flexible you can get throughout a long intense series like this one by the way a random stat with that this I, this shocks me if you said so will smith has six saves this postseason no other pitcher has two saves this postseason i, I that that surprises the me death but of the closer <laughs> well it's not just even the death of the closer it, I, there have been less close games than i thought in this postseason because yeah, i guess between the all, nlcs and this world series the braves have had a number of close games there have only been 11 saves total will smith has six everyone yeah. else in baseball has five this postseason that's great including, the less we can care about saves the better so i'm i'm, I'm here for this <laughs> including so max scherzer is tied for the second most saves in the postseason yeah. wow you know but we're gonna keep we're going to keep talking about the, uh, the, the, the World Series, but we're going to stop for a moment for a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. And we're back. So, Carlos, the, the other thing you, you said, like last night, I, I said the way I put it was is that I felt like that you had one team that knew they had to win and another that, that, that knew that they had to win one of three. You touched on it with Smiley coming in later, later in the game. I felt like even in the early innings of that game, the reason that you, I don't necessarily think it didn't work out clearly, but the reason that you let Tucker Davidson bat in the second, even with a lead is because you are saying we want to win this game. If you're the Braves, yeah, but we're not going to push push all in to win this game. They yeah. wanted to get more innings out of him if they could because they're looking at it and saying we've got to win one of three mm -hmm. whereas the Astros Jose Arquiti supposed to start game six hey if we need him we're going to use Arquiti mm -hmm. it, it it felt like you had two teams in very different situations in that game yeah it did and I thought at the time I, I kind of was surprised that Davidson continued to go out there because he did not look sharp it, it seemed like he lost some confidence in his fastball in the second inning after he gave up, uh, I don't remember who hit that single, but he gave up a hard hit single and then really just went to his breaking stuff. Didn't feel like he had confidence in the pitch, was missing the zone a decent bit. And I thought with a two run lead at the time, 
you pull him, pinch hit for him, start going to your pen early and really try and, and lock the series down there with an off day today as we record this podcast. That, that was my thinking, but it's easy for me to say this sitting here, not really knowing how much stress is under the arms. How, how confident do you feel in your high leverage pitchers just getting another day of work when you know you do have two extra games? I, I think for me, if you've got the lead in the World Series, I really like pushing in the chips and going for it. At the same time, it's, it, it's very easy for me to say sitting here, not really knowing um, to the extent that Snitker and the people involved with the Braves do, how far you can really push your arms. And, and this bullpen has been pretty pretty heavily taxed for the Braves this postseason. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was definitely the wrong decision um, to send Tucker Davidson out there, just not knowing, again, like how much how much usage you can get with those guys before you get diminishing returns and they start to, to pitch poorly. So it's a balancing act for sure. Um, but definitely, I think you're right. When you, when you're in an elimination game, you kind of have to push all those pieces out regardless. You, you don't have any option. If you lose this game, um, you, you're just done. So the, the flexibility or, or, or the ability to not have to do that certainly is a benefit for Atlanta and, for the Astros, a number of their hitters really stepped up. Carlos Correa had a fantastic game on both sides of the ball. He went three for five and really seemed like he was kind of just paving the way for this team. Alex Bregman finally got hot uh, in the middle innings, had a really impressive double to the opposite field. I think him getting hot for these next two games is really going to be key. Um, and if if he can't get hot, maybe you just put Zach Greinke into the lineup. <laughs> hey, that was great. But, yeah, I – the thing to me is, is that a lot of people on Twitter last night were saying, but they have a day off tomorrow. So why do they need to save these guys? And I, I, I like how you put it. We don't know the exact details of any of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to pretend like we do. Yeah. But that said, at this point, as we literally sit here in November, we are now playing November baseball in November to say that, oh, but they have a day off in a month where there's been the highest leverage of high leverage situations. I do think that these relievers like Tyler Matzik having two days off is significant. You are going to feel better with two days off than you will with one. With two days off, also you will feel better if you have to go back-to-backs game six and game seven than you would if you got one day off. So from that standpoint, the Braves, you, you can argue with it if you want to me, the early innings, Tucker Davidson going back out there for the third. Mm -hmm. You could e even argue in the middle innings because at that point, the Braves did retake the lead 5-4. But once the Astros took the lead, to me at that point, there's no argument that to say that it doesn't make sense to say, okay, we're yes, they gave up a few more runs, but once they scored five, they didn't score anymore. And so it did not hurt them once they gave up the lead to say, okay, well, we're going to use some of the lower leverage guys in our pen to get us to game six and game seven with resting really a lot of the, the, the higher leverage arms in the, in the brace pen. Yeah, definitely. And th this one I don't know how I'm feeling going into these these next two games in Houston. Obviously, it seems like the Braves are set up pretty well. You have to feel comfortable with really your best starter at this point in Max Freed going on normal rest. 
Um, and then after that, you got to feel pretty good about Ian Anderson, given what he's done. So if you're the Astros right now, how confident do you feel that you can get back into this game? Because it's baseball, it's only two games, but it does still seem like, at least from my perspective, that things are kind of heavily tilted towards Atlanta. Is that too strong, do you think? Or, or is this one more more even than, than maybe I'm putting it out there? On the pitching side, the advantage is clearly in the Braves standpoint right now. Like you've got short rest and I guess Granke in game seven, who again is, he went four. That's about, but I, it's hard to believe he'll go more than four. And the, the, the Astros are going to absolutely throw everything against the wall. Urquidy very well could start game seven also. He threw 14 pitches. If Garcia's going six, maybe it's Urquidy in seven. That said, they're having to do everything admittedly at every point to keep it alive. You, you worry about the next game the next day. The Braves are in a situation where they, help, they will now have their best two remaining starters, only two remaining starters, <laughs> um, going on effectively, you know, on, on normal rest for game six, game seven, with their higher leverage guys in their bullpen, other than Minter having had more rest than at any point since this series began. Um, but I think it really comes down to the, the Astros lineup. The thing about it is, is that this Astros lineup, if you said, how could they win it? They could win these two games, even if their pitching isn't very good, because this lineup is good enough that if Jordan Alvarez, who hasn't really had a monstrous world series or Correa, as you mentioned, or Bregman gets hot or Tucker or Altuve or Brantley, there are a lot of guys in this lineup who put together great at bat after great at bat normally. And if you told me that they pummeled the Braves best pitching over the final two games of the series, completely plausible because yeah. they can pummel anyone's best pitching. It's this, this good of a lineup. Yeah. I think there's a slight, clearly there's an advantage for the Braves. Mm -hmm. If you say one of these has to win two games and one wins one, I'm not going out on a limb to say, I'll, I'll take the team that needs to win one, you know, and feel pretty good about that. But, <laughs> yeah. but it is utterly plausible to say, can the Astros win three games in a row with this team? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't require that Luis Garcia go out there and become Bob Gibson in 1968 <laughs> for it to happen. No doubt. What, I mean, what do you think? No, I think you summed it up. I think you summed it up nicely. I think it's it's very easy to maybe convince yourselves that the Braves are in um, kind of an inevitable position to win. I, I think it's always dangerous, maybe regardless of, of who the teams are and how they're playing in baseball, to ever feel that comfortable in any sort of postseason series. Um, but I think you summed it up nicely. This Astros lineup is incredibly deep, and to this point in the series, we have not seen them firing on all cylinders. And if they wake up in these next two games and we see that lineup kind of in peak form. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see that happen. At the same time, I think the Braves lineup is is equally uh, up to that task. We've seen guys like Travis Darno and and Adam Duvall have really impressive and in, in table setting hits for this team. I mean, Duvall's <laughs> Duvall's home run in the first inning last night was was pretty loud. Um, but then you have guys like Ozzy Albies and Dansby Swanson who really haven't maybe had the series that you're expecting of them defensively and offensively. Ozzy has had some highlights defensively that have been pretty impressive, but last night he had a couple errant throws. Dansby really hasn't looked like himself this entire world series defensively. 
Um, it was nice to see him get that big home run in game four, I believe, to kind of spark their comeback and take a 3-1 lead. Um, but no, I think both, both these lineups, I think teams can feel confident or fans of teams can feel confident that they can carry you to a victory, even if you don't have your best pitching. So, I mean, we touched on this in our podcast on Friday, uh, that maybe this is just going to turn into an offensive series. And to some extent, we saw that last night. Uh, I think the final score maybe exaggerates a little bit how close that game was, but I'm just looking forward to seeing, seeing what happens. Max Breed is shown glimpses of dominance throughout this postseason. Uh, at other times he's been a little bit more susceptible uh, and I'm just excited to see the next few games. I don't know if I have any other kind of final take or, uh, or prediction or anything. I'm just ready to uh, ready for Tuesday. As, as someone Kyle for us is traveling to Houston. So he, you know, he's bouncing around and all as someone who's just sitting at home, watching these games, we have more world series baseball. Yes. That's that's, That's a great, great thing. <laughs> I, I, I let's as, without having a dog in this fight. Let's go seven. You know, let's just let's let's take the season as far as it can go. Sevens, the baseball America office. That is no doubt the case. I would say our, our IT guy may not be. Uh, you know, Brent <laughs> Lewis. Uh, Brent Lewis is a uh, uh, a pretty diehard Braves fan, um, and I would say that he would quite prefer <laughs> that this to be in, done sooner <laughs> it, it be done in five now now in six but for many of us it is just let's have all the baseball that we can have and that will be fun but that's a perfect way to wrap it up if you haven't get a chance uh you know leave a roof review for us on whatever your favorite podcast catcher whatever that is whether that's apple itunes whether that's uh google spotify, spotify. Google podcast stitcher Podcast Addict, which I'm the lone guy out there, but hey, Podcast I, I've Addict. I've used that before as well, JJ. I'm with you. You finally have someone it's from a, the Android team with you on the podcast. It, it, it is a, it is a, it's a very good product. Uh, I, I, rec- I recommend if you're Android, it's, it's, I think it does quite well at what it does. But whatever it is, we, we do appreciate the download. We will be back again on Wednesday to wrap up Game 6, and then we'll be back on Thursday with our playoff podcast if necessary, depending on what happens in game six. So for Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.